way back, the Bible was written in tablets of stone, chipped away, and it got passed around. Uh, and then it moved on to scrolls. Uh, and then scrolls became books. And now pretty much, well, many of us will have, our Bible will be electronic. We'll be reading it on our phone or on our tablet or whatever it might be. If you go back to the olden days, when the Bible was a book, if you took hold of that book and just opened it in the middle, you'd find the book of Psalms. The Psalms are God's songbook for His people. Uh, and right the way through the centuries, uh, millennia actually, God's people have been singing songs from that book or singing songs inspired by that book. We've already done it today. It's an amazing thought, isn't it, that we're connected to those who have sung about the God of the Bible. That's what we're doing today. Um, but we don't want to just sing. We want to think about what those songs say as well. And uh, we tend in the summer to work through some psalms and just break off our other series. And the songs that we're looking at this week, uh, sorry, these, uh, this summertime, is um, the songs of creation. Earth songs, singing psalms of creation. And, and we're really wanting to ask the basic question, which is this. There are masses of songs in our culture, all sorts of songs, which talk about the world that we live in and our experience as human beings and who we are. And I want to ask a simple question right the way through this. Do we have a better song to sing? That's the question that we ask. Singing is an amazing thing, but I also find the, the desire to use language of our experience in songs fascinating. We use language in amazing ways, don't we? But also, what's in, let, me, let me just give, let me say something to you. Oel Ngati Kamare. That's there you go. Any, does any, anybody recognize that language? No? It's Navi. There's more blank faces. <laughs> Navi are the creatures, the people, in James Cameron's avatar. And James Cameron commissioned a professor of linguistics to write a language for those characters. It's incredible, isn't it? We just kind of watch films, don't we? We're just kind of you know, absorbed by the storyline. And then you realize the depth to which people have gone on behind the scenes. Someone else did that years ago. Tolkien did exactly the same. He wrote a language for the elves, elfish. Some of you might be able to speak Elfish if you are really huge Lord of the Rings fans. In fact, we might find a group of people later on showing off their Elfish, just chatting away to each other in Elfish. Ignore them. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that both of those individuals have decided that they want to create a language and I think both of them are trying to push at something. They're kind of saying, 
I almost don't feel as if our language is deep enough or rich enough or strong enough to capture what this people group, whether it's the elves or whether it's the Navi, what they see. They see something big enough, bigger than us. And their language is better than our language to explain these things. Oel ngati kamari means I see you. Which is one of the deepest concepts in that Avatar film. That this idea that relationally the two lead characters are not just friends or lovers. There is a deeper entwining intimacy which captures the soul and the heart a bit like elfish in lord of the rings something deep deeper but it it's deeper than just them it kind of draws them into the whole world in which we, we in which they live i can't remember the name of the planet on which they live but the planet on which they live, they become one with it, and there is that intimacy which is expressed in the language that they, they use. It is such a powerful idea, not just for films, but our desperate idea to have a sense of deep and rich and powerful belonging, where we become almost one with the world this beautiful world that is created. Paul says something to the Romans really powerful about that idea. He says this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. Those who have rejected God, they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul, in, in early A.D., probably around about A.D. 45-ish, 50, something like that, Paul was writing back then, that one of the dangers of our human experience is that we are so captivated and captured by the creation that we lose sight of the Creator behind it. That, that, which is, I mean, it, I remember when I was little, my dad used to tell me stories as I was going to sleep, and he made up these amazing stories, which just kind of must have just come into his mind from uh, I don't know where but, 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 but two characters and I, I won't tell you the names of the characters that they made up he told me a story once about these two little boys who went to the swimming pool and they absolutely loved the swimming pool it was amazing they were splashing around it was incredible it was fantastic it was brilliant, this swimming pool. They'd never been to the swimming pool before. And then somebody walked through the swimming pool, just ignored them. They're playing in the swimming pool and somebody just walked straight through. Why are you playing in the swimming pool? So they followed them and realized that what they'd been doing was 
playing in the foot bath. And out there was this amazing swimming pool, and they're playing around in the foot bath. That's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, if you spend your time worshipping the creation, you're playing in the foot bath. Because the foot bath is nothing compared to the glory and the majesty and the grandeur and the incredible dimensions of the Creator who sits behind it. It's almost like you say, use the footbath to take you to the Creator. Use the footbath to take you to something better. This psalm is all about us as creatures praising, singing, finding joy in the beautiful, amazing Creator God. If we can do anything this afternoon, the one thing that I hope we can do is just turn our eyes to the beauty of the God who made us. The first thing that it starts off with is the Creator who knows me. Let's read from the beginning. We're going to take it in big chunks. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. How can I possibly ever, I think when we get close to somebody, we find almost an intuition, don't we? Where you kind of know what the person is about to say in most cases, or in some cases. You know kind of what they're thinking. But I know, and you know, that there isn't a single person in the whole of the world who knows you like this description. Not every single word that you say, or every thought that you have, or every movement that you are about to make. There isn't anybody who knows you like that. And there is a sense in which those moments, which are very temporary, where we have that connectedness with somebody who just knows what I'm thinking, they are tiny. And yet they are beautiful, aren't they? They, they, are, they are what we crave for as human beings. Somebody who would know me like that. Somebody who would love me like that. Somebody who would know where I am in every one of my thoughts. This deep knowledge. But more than that, this deep knowledge is also surrounded by somebody who has both the capability to protect me 
and the active engagement to protect me. Look at what it says. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. I think this psalm is one of the most beautiful parts of the whole of the Bible. There's moments, do you ever have one of those moments where you're just so moved by something you could almost burst into tears? You just, you could just cry. <laughs> if somebody could know me like that and protect me and actively love me in that way and have the power to surround me, that would be amazing. It's our desire. It is our desperate desire. And what is laid out before us as creatures, those who have been created, is, is unfolding in front of us through the words of the psalmist singing this song and encouraging us to sing. The God who we're singing about is a God who knows you like that. They're amazing words. Do you remember? Some of you will remember the film Jerry Maguire. It's actually been, there's a meme from the American version of The Office. Um, the the kind of classic line in Jerry Maguire is, you complete me. That's kind of the line, you complete me. And there's this kind of, you know, Google it, The Office, you complete me. But there's something powerful, isn't there? To be intimately connected we are not complete until we are complete in that relationship with the God who created us. We are not complete. We are looking, we are searching, we are trying to find. And laid out before us is the potential of a God who loves in a way that completes us. The heart of the mess good news of the message of the Bible is in this. It's in this. That the good news about the gospel of the Bible is not some mechanistic formula, but an intimate relationship and connectedness with the eternal God. This is Eden reawakened, laid out before us. The Creator who knows me. The second thing we see is the Creator who is present. Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. They are incredible words. They are incredible words for the darkest of nights when we lie awake and nobody knows our thoughts and our fears but us those moments of internal terror, 
those moments in our human experience where we do not know possibly how we are ever going to get through this experience. How will I survive this? Every, every experience that we go through is worse in the dark, isn't it? It just is. That's what the psalmist is expressing here. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, it's that voice of I am surrounded by darkness and in the dark, the darkness seems to be impenetrable. It seems impossible to break through that. And then the psalmist rises up in his mind and he reminds himself of this. The darkness will be not be dark to you. I am in the dark, but you're not. Right at this moment, I don't know where your situation is at the moment. I don't know whether you are experiencing the dark at the moment. Let me tell you, if you're believing and trusting in the God of the Bible, the darkness that you are experiencing right now is not dark to God. It's not dark to Him. The darkness is as light to you. What is the psalmist saying? He's saying, when I can't see where to go, when I cannot see a way out of it, it's not dark to you because you can see. You can see the way through this. Because you go before me, you hold my hand wherever I am. Whether I travel afar, you are with me. Wherever you are there. Some of you might have seen the film Everest. It's an amazing movie. Beck Weathers is a pathologist, I think, by profession. He's one of the characters in that film. True story. He's a, a very rich American guy who also wanted to conquer the highest mountain in the world. Beck Weathers in the chaos and the crisis of the Everest experience on that particular climbing season was coming back down. It, it was just carnage. There were people who were losing each other and, and he ended up suffering from snow blindness. Snow blindness affects you in, with, in such a... You, you're literally blind. The brightness makes you blind. He has an amazing story to tell. He says that he got lost, recovered, moved a bit, snow blindness hit him again. The film portrays that he sees in his experience, I guess, in his mental thoughts, he sees a vision of his wife and his children and somehow he manages to get back up and stumbles and makes his way down back into camp. He survives. He, he kind of fights his way through. He ends up losing both hands from frostbite and his nose. That is, that is just, that is on the edge of life and death. He stumbled forward and managed to make it. And he was one who did, compared who, to many who didn't make it, where the darkness overwhelmed them. 
And the psalmist is saying, in that kind of darkness, your Father sees. He sees. It is not blindness to Him. He has gone before you. So we've seen the Creator who knows me, the Creator who is present with me. Now we see the Creator who is before me. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. If I praise you because I am fearfully, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If we had the opportunity or if I was able to, we would now kind of drift into that for this description, that amazing television voice of David Attenborough. You know that Blue Planet voice? That filming is amazing, isn't it? It takes you to places which you are overwhelmed with what this world is. Psalmist doesn't have even the beginnings of the understanding that we now have, but he captures something which we have still not yet seen, which is the forming of you and me from two cells. I, I know that we've, we've been able to observe it in some ways, but I'm talking about all of the other incredible stuff that goes on, that results in you and me. And it's not you and me, and this is where we can never film this well enough. It's not just you and me as physical beings, but it's you and me as soul and body. It's you and me as people, as who we are deep inside our personalities, the way we think, the things that make us unique, not just the physicality of us. We might be able to capture that on film, but we can't capture what makes you, you, and me, me. And yet that, that's what this psalmist, is, David, is, is saying. You knew me then. You knew who I was then. You have gone before me. What he is doing here is he is emphasizing God the Creator. There is a physicality that goes on that results in human birth. But the Creator of that human birth is God. The God who has gone before me 
you've set out the days of my life. If you've gone before me and formed me and knew me, you know my days as well. Do you know what? There was, a, there was an old hymn. Um, he holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key, or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. I might be sad. Did you know what? I absolutely think that's right. Don't know about you. I do not want to know what is in the future. I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't, I couldn't look to the future and, and the whole of my life laid out. Think about some of the amazing times that don't last. <laughs> Think about some of the terrifying times that we have to go through. Imagine if we had to go through those experiences knowing that we are going to go through them. It would be horrific. I'm glad that we only know what we know. And yet the God who has gone before us is the God who, is, who knows the end. He knows our pathway. The intimacy of the Creator God is at that level. And the psalmist is saying, this is more than you can possibly imagine. How can you reconcile the lives of every creature? How can you know the days of each being? How do you know the beginning and the end of every human experience? How do you intertwine all of that? It results in saying, in so many places, that is just too wonderful and amazing and incredible for me. But I'm glad you know. The Creator who knows me, the Creator who is present, the Creator who is before me. And the final one isn't obvious. But I will say it, the final one is this, the Creator who treats my heart. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What the psalmist is doing is he's setting up this experience and he's saying, right, now, in the light of all of that stuff before, in the light of who God is, in the light of His hand upon you, in the light of his, the potential of His intimate connection with you, it is nothing less than wicked to reject that God. It's wicked. And those who abhor you and hate you when you pour out that grace upon us, well, I hate them too. What does this psalm do? If we read it the wrong way, and if we don't read it in the light of a whole load of other of David's psalms, we have every possibility of becoming incredibly superior. We sang a song um, a little bit earlier which really just hit home to me in the light of these few words. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. 
no turning back. I wish I could say that honestly every day. But I can't. Because what this sets up before me is a way of thinking which I am not consistent with. That is not me all the time. Search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Search my heart. (laughs) Search my heart and you will know the mess. That's what this final picture points me to. Search my heart and you know the reality. How can you possibly, the God who has created me, how can you possibly know my heart and yet still love me? Because you know that I don't have a heart which has always decided to follow you. No turning back. You know that I turn back at a whim. And it is only because you hold on to me that I don't turn back and keep on going in the opposite direction. How does that work? How are you able to keep me when those who, you, who I describe here as those who I hate, it's like looking in the mirror because my wickedness rises up inside of me because I can be that person. Pause. Relate it to ourselves. Can we, can we make that confident statement of love? I think one of the purposes of the Psalms, actually, with these confident statements of love, is to encourage us to that level of commitment. But if we look in the other Psalms, we see constantly, time and time again, we see David saying, I'm a mess. How can I know you like that? How can I know you? The way this is described, how can that intimacy take place? There is one reason why that intimacy can take place. And it's Jesus. John chapter 17 is just the most amazing part of the Bible. Just breathtaking. John chapter 17, verse 1 to 3. Listen to these words. Jesus has been spending time with his disciples. And he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Here's that. Let me, let me explain what's going on here. Jesus is saying in prayer to his Father, This is it, the hour that we have been building towards, the crescendo of my purpose for being here on this earth, it has arrived. The hour has come for me to be crucified, to be sacrificed. Now, glorify your Son. Jesus is saying, as they take me and nail me to a cross, Father, is your task to glorify me. Because it is my task to glorify you as you nail me to a cross. That is astounding. This is why we are here. 
glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And this is the, this is the killer for this section. How might I know this God the way we've been talking about? Now, this is eternal life. Jesus, what's eternal life? This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life according to Jesus? It is knowing the Father and knowing the Son. And we can only do that when we are indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then in that we realize this, that what Cameron is driving at with that deep connectedness, the intertwining that we so desperately seek, is, is a tantalizing hint at what is truly possible in Jesus. When we are one with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might know the Father and the Son. If we take our eyes off the Creator and only fo focus on the creation, we are playing in muddy waters when there is a sparkling ocean to bask in. We, we have the opportunity to truly be known by God. And I pray that that is for each of us our experience.